Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Ben. I'm the music and ministry coordinator here at Christ Church. Um, I'll invite you to turn to the back middle portion of your worship guide um, where you'll find the scripture reading uh, for our sermon this morning. I mean, if you have your Bible, uh, you can also turn to Psalm 147. I mean, I'll invite Brittany up. Uh, she's going to be reading our passage for us. Uh, but before uh, we get to the passage, let me just give a, a brief introduction on the book of Psalms. We're looking at the book of Psalms uh, a little bit more closely again uh, this summer. The book of Psalms is, is known as the songbook of God's people. It's the melody of the maturing Christian life. Um, in them, God himself teaches his people how to faithfully walk with him amid all of life's brightest highs and darkest lows. For millennia, these songs have been used and treasured in worship by God's people, both in public worship and in private worship. Um, why should we continue to do this? Why should we continue to meditate on these 150 psalms? Well, Martin Luther, he called the psalms a little Bible and uh, really a summary of the Old Testament. Um, with poetic beauty, the psalms describe who God is and what he's done for us in history and why he can be trusted. So through the psalms, we get to know God better. But John Calvin, he, he adds this, that the psalms are anatomy of all the parts of the soul. The psalms give voice to the everyday griefs, sorrows, fears, and doubts, hopes and cares and perplexities, which God's people have always experienced. And so in that sense, through the psalms, we get to know ourselves better. God himself gives us these psalms so that we can give voice to the whole range of human emotions and experiences as we learn to trust in his goodness and live faithfully before him. Before Brittany reads, let me just pray for us before we read Psalm 147. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we read it, would you open our hearts to it, that we might hear it, understand it, believe it, and obey it by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Brittany. Hear God's word from Psalm 147. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beasts their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of horses, nor is pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. Praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? 
He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. John Owen, uh, uh, a famous Puritan theologian who, who lived in the 17th century, he once said, it's easier to bring our heads into worship than it is to bring our hearts. It's easier to bring our heads into worship than it is to bring our hearts. In other words, if you're a Christian here today, to affirm the truths of, of Psalm 147 uh, might seem relatively easy. Uh, there are many facts in this psalm, and chances are if you're a Christian, you believe what the Bible says, and so you, you agree with these facts. But it's altogether a, another thing to let these truths melt and soften your heart, seeing the beauty and wonder of who God is and what he's done, and then letting that lead you to worship him. Psalm 147, it wants us, it's commanding us to bring both our head and our heart to worship. While the psalm contains some incredible truths about God, which we'll look at, Psalm 147 is ultimately calling us to praise him. And praise involves both the head and the heart. It's more than simply agreeing with the facts. Praise wants the affections of our heart. What is it in your life that brings you awe and wonder? What is it that, that your heart finds most beautiful? What do you love? Uh, where do you find your delight? What do you spend your time thinking about? Well, if you've known me for any length of time, you'll know that I love darn tough socks. You could probably put a few different things in there, but I definitely love darn tough socks. And we don't have time this morning to get in on the details of why that is, but I constantly tell people about them. Um, I give them as gifts whenever possible. I wear them almost exclusively, including this morning. Um, I know factually that these are the most amazing socks out there. But in some sense, my heart takes delight in them as well. I enjoy wearing them. I look forward to putting them on in the morning. I love telling other people about them, including you now. My affections, in some small sense, have been stirred by these socks. Now, that's not to make light of the important topic before us, but it is a story to help us think about what it is that fills your heart. What are you most excited to talk about and share with other people? Right, it's one thing to declare something is true, but it's another to let those truths satisfy your heart and to truly live as those truths were true. See, praise involves this head and heart combination, and Psalm 147 wants us to give both our head and our heart to God in praise. And so we're going to look at this psalm and this concept of praise in three parts. It's defining praise, defending praise, and then discovering praise. So defining praise, defending praise, and then discovering praise. And so first, let's look at defining praise. Um, Psalm 147, it finds itself at the end of, well, almost the end of these uh, uh, 150 psalms. And these last five psalms are known as the Hallelujah Psalms, Psalms 146 to 150. Um, they're all about praising God for who he is and for what he's done. In our psalm this morning, Psalm 147, we see this call to praise God uh, repeatedly. We see it in verse 1 and, and verse 7. In verse 12 and verse 20, the psalm is bookended by this call to praise God, but it's also found throughout. But what does it actually mean to praise God? Well, the phrase praise the Lord comes from two Hebrew words, halla and yah. Um, together they make the word we know as hallelujah, or 
like we sang this morning, Alleluia. Um, this is why they're called the Hallelujah Psalms. Halla means to boast in or to glory in something. And Yah is the short form for Yahweh. That was the Israelites' personal name for God. And so when we put those together, this phrase, this command is telling us to boast in, to glory in God himself. It's a command to praise the Lord, to offer our mind and our heart to him and root our lives in him. Praise, in this sense, it is a very big concept, and yet at the same time, it's very practical. What does it look like? Well, uh, in verse 7, we read that, that praising God, that we can do that by singing to him. That's one way we can praise the Lord. Uh, we see this connection in, in this psalm, but we see it throughout all the psalms. Music has a unique way of stirring our affections towards the truth. Mind and heart, it, it helps us memorize and internalize the wonderful realities um, about who God is and what he's done. Right, often today when we think about praise, uh, primarily in a church context, music is probably one of the first connections we make. But praise goes far beyond simply the songs that we sing, even if singing is an incredibly important part of it. And other psalms actually help us fill out what this looks like to praise God. And so we're going to take, take a, just a very brief look at some of those. Um, psalm 119, it tells us that we praise God by obeying him. It says, I will praise you with an upright heart, as I learn your righteous laws. Praise be to you, Lord. Teach me your decrees. Psalm 95 tells us that we praise God by giving thanks to him, living lives of gratitude. It says, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. Psalm 63, it tells us that we praise God when we remember who he is and what he's done. It says, my soul will be satisfied as with fat and, and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I'll sing for joy. There's more. Uh, Psalm 105, it tells us to pr- that, that, that we praise God when we share the truth and beauty of God with others. It says, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people's. Sing to him, sing praise to him, tell of all his wonderful, wondrous works. In Psalm 62, uh, we see that we praise God when we take refuge in him. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. On God rests my, my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. So where or who does the psalmist boast and glory in? It's God who is his refuge. This list of just a few psalms is by no means exhaustive. You could find uh, other aspects of praise throughout the psalms and in fact throughout all of scripture. Uh, But hopefully it begins uh, to give you a bit of a sense of what it means to praise the Lord. This is not simply a Sunday morning activity. Uh, It's not limited even to the songs that we sing. Praising the Lord is all of life encompassing. It involves all that we are and all that we do. It involves our mind and our heart, our truth, and our affections. And at its root, it reflects what we boast in, what we ground ourselves in, what we hope and trust in. And Psalm 147 is commanding us this morning to boast in and ground ourselves in the Lord. It's commanding us to praise him. And this brings us to our second point, and that's defending praise. And this point is really the why of praise. Right now that we know a little bit about what it is, 
Why are we commanded to give it to God and not to something else? Right? Why, why is God worthy of praise? Thankfully, almost always, um, when the Bible tells us to praise the Lord, it gives us reasons, and there are plenty in Psalm 147. But before the psalmist gets in the, into the particulars of praise, he pauses to consider the delightfulness of praise itself. Verse 1, it tells us that it's good to sing praises to God, for it's pleasant and a song of praise is fitting. See, the very act of responding to God's glory and goodness brings joy and delight. And that's because praise is fitting. It's fitting for God to receive our praise, but it's also fitting for us to praise him. We're going to look at these two concepts a little bit more closely. So let me say that again. It's, it's fitting for us Sorry, it's fitting for God to receive our praise, but it's also fitting for us to praise him. So first, let's look at the fact that it's fitting for God to receive praise. And in Psalm 147, we really see a wonderful contrast. It's fitting to praise God because God cares deeply for his people. Verse 2 and 3 tells us that God gathers the outcasts. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. His understanding is beyond measure. He lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. God understands who we are. He understands what trials plague us, what sins we love and constantly return to, and what we most deeply need. See, we see here a God who who intimately cares for his people and extends incredible mercy to them. Uh, This is a truth that we've actually already sung about this morning in Psalm 87. God welcomes those who were once his enemies, those who have done deeds so dark that they've been hardened by shame. See, God knows us better than we know ourselves. And yet, knowing all our sin and all our troubles, he doesn't cast us away, as would be his right. He gathers and heals and he redeems. As you read through the Old Testament, um, um, you'll see the Israelite people and its leaders constantly trip up and fail. They turn their backs on God. They forget about all the amazing things that God had done for them. They ignore his commands and they turn to worship false gods, thinking that they knew better than God. And yet God faithfully loves them, continually calling them back to himself. God intimately cares for his people and he loves them deeply. But that's not all, and here's the contrast. This God who intimately loves and cares for his people is also the creator and sustainer of the universe. Verse 4, it tells us that God determines the number of stars, and he gave them their name. Further down in verse 8, we read that it is God who covers the heavens with clouds and prepares rain for the earth. He is the one that makes things grow and gives beasts and birds their food. Then again at 16, we see that God is the one who brings snow and frost, right? who makes the winds blow and the waters flow. God has not only created the universe from nothing, but he sustains its every move. He is king over it all. I was listening to a a sermon this week, and the preacher was trying to explain how many stars there are in the universe. And I'll admit it it was a little bit complicated, and so I, I decided to do some research by myself. And after I'm finished here, you can tell me if it was complicated. I'm hoping it's less complicated. Um... But there are one septillion stars in the universe. 
Now, I'm not going to try to explain that number to you. I don't think I can. Um, but to put it in perspective, let, let me share this. Um, maybe amidst the heat this week before the rain, you found yourself at the beach. If you think of the area maybe the size of your beach towel or, or your beach chair, there are 1.3 billion grains of sand in that small area. 1.3 billion. If you were to count that, it would take you well over 30 years. Non-stop counting. So that's no sleeping, no eating, no nothing. It would take you well over 30 years. Now, that's just, that's just one small area of one beach in Nova Scotia. Now think about all the grains of sand on the entire earth. All the beaches, all the deserts. It's really incomprehensible to even begin to comprehend that number. And yet, there are multiple stars for each grain of sand in our world. That's how big one septillion is. The scale and vastness of God's creation is unimaginable. It is impossible for our minds to comprehend. It, it, it leaves you speechless. It, it's incomprehensible. Yet God not only knows the exact number of stars or grains of sand, he determined it. He created them, and he has named each one and now sustains it all. See, the psalmist is trying here to set something in front of our eyes so that we can appreciate the incredible, awe-inspiring greatness of God and see that praise is fitting. How could you not praise someone so majestic and powerful? He demands it by his very nature. And so praise is fitting to God because of his greatness and because of his love. Each one of these realities on their own, uh, incredible, uh, unimaginable, right? To love like God loves and to care and know each part of his creation despite their sin is so far beyond how we love. Yet that's only the half of it. The God who loves is also the God who creates and sustains the earth. It is he who named the stars and sustains our every breath. God is worthy of praise and it is fitting that he receives it. But to praise God is also fitting for us. See, God has made us, he knows us, and scripture tells us that true delight and satisfaction are found in him. See, praising God is fitting for us because it's how we're wired, right? It's what we were made to do. Question one of the Westminster Confession, or sorry, of the Westminster Shorter Catechism, asks, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And the implication here is that the more we glorify God, the more we will enjoy him. We were made for that very purpose. But scripture tells us because of sin, we constantly fight against this reality. Rather than rooting and finding glory in God, we we, we chase after false gods, counterfeit gods that we think will actually make us happy and bring us the satisfaction we so desperately crave but ultimately in the end we're left empty and searching we take our career and we center our lives around it because it gives us power over others or the financial security that that we crave or or maybe even affirmation from our our colleagues or community around us we obsess over comfort and, and pleasure thinking about sex or the next shopping trip or travel destination Think that those things will finally make us satisfied. Or maybe we live lives just constantly a little disappointed, 
because we're not where we thought we would be. Right? We don't think we have what will make us happy, uh, maybe a spouse, a, a child, a home, a promotion, anything. Right? If only I had this, I would be happy. The late Tim Keller, he, he, he popularized this phrase, counterfeit gods, and in his book by the same name, he says counterfeit gods are things that demand our praise and our affection, but ultimately don't satisfy he goes on to say that, that we often think of these counterfeit gods as, as really bad things. But the truth is, that's almost never the case. Anything can serve as a counterfeit god, especially the very best things of life. Right? It's when we take good things like a successful career, love, uh, material possessions, even family, and we turn them into ultimate things. Our hearts deify them at the center of our lives because we think that they can give us the security, the safety, and fulfillment and significance that we need. If only I had this thing, I would finally be happy. See, a counterfeit God is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything so central and essential to your life that should you lose it or not have it, it would feel, life would, would hardly feel worth living. The famous uh, uh, first century theologian, Augustine, he said something similar, albeit in, in, in quite a, a few less words. He says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Now, maybe someone more current, Taylor Swift. Um, she's currently on what is estimated to be the largest grossing tour of all time. Um, she's in stadium after stadium, uh, sometimes five or six nights in one city, uh, sold out in minutes. But a few years ago, she came out with a Netflix documentary. And to be honest, there's a fairly sad, um, a, bit, a bit of a heartbreaking moment in the documentary when, when Taylor recaps the moment where she won a Grammy for Album of the Year in 2016. This is what she calls her mountaintop moment. Right? This is when she achieved everything that she had ever dreamed of in her life. And all she could think about at that moment after she won Shouldn't I have someone that I should call right now? She achieved all that she wanted. And yet when she got to the top, she saw how empty it really was. Not even worldwide fame, incredible riches, a Grammy could do it. See, it's fitting for God to receive praise, but it's also fitting for us to praise God. Because it's the only place that we find the satisfaction, fulfillment, joy, and love that we long for, that we need. Anything else in this world will not satisfy, as good as it may be. But boasting in, glorying in God himself is fitting. He is worthy of praise, and we are made for it. This leads us to our third point, and that's discovering praise. Whether you're here today as a Christian or not, I think we can all agree that at times, praise seems difficult. Um, life can be really hard. We saw that again in our province this week. Praise can seem really far off. Right? Maybe anger or envy or frustration seem closer to the reality of your heart and your situation. Or maybe there's just a dryness or a coldness, a hardness in your heart. Right, like John Owen said at the start, it's easier to bring your head to worship than it is to bring your heart. Right, there are no doubt hard seasons that many of you might find yourselves in even this morning. And I think recognizing that is the first step 
It's good to be honest about God and tell him where we're at, right, what we're feeling. But if we think back to our examples uh, in the first point, uh, examples of praise found throughout the Psalms, singing, giving thanks, remembering, sharing, delighting, and finding refuge and waiting in the Lord, we'll see that many of these practices actually don't require us to be in so-called positive circumstances. Of course, you can sing a joyful song, and we should do that. We can also sing a song of lament. We see many such psalms. Seasons of difficulty, we can remember who God is and what he's done and how he's been faithful in the past. We can find refuge in the Lord, trusting and finding our satisfaction and protection in him as the storms of life roll through. See, praise is not dependent on positive circumstances. Rather, it is rooting yourself in God in whatever circumstances you find yourself in. At the end of our psalm, uh, actually in verse 19, we see a a very brief mention of one such character uh, who found himself in the struggle. Uh, Verse 19 tells us that God declares his word to Jacob. Um, Why does Jacob get a mention here? And this is actually a bit of a pattern we see throughout the Old Testament, this phrase, something to do with Jacob or the God of Jacob. But what does this mean? Um, I think if you were going to name drop someone from the Old Testament, you feel like there might be uh, more famous people you could do. Uh, Like we don't see the same treatment for the God of Noah, the God of Moses, um, the God of David. We continually see this, this phrase, the God of Jacob. And so why does he get this mention? Well, Jacob was actually, he was less than a role model. Not exactly someone you would hold up as an example to follow. Um, His story is littered with examples of disappointment and heartache, in his case, often caused by chasing after counterfeit gods. He was rooting his life in things apart from God. Um, He deceives his father, stealing his his blessing from his brother, longing for that approval, but in the end, he ruins his family. He's forced to run away. As he runs away, uh, Jacob falls in love with with Rachel, hoping that Rachel will finally, finally make him happy. But instead, Jacob finds himself deceived by Rachel's father, Laban. He was so set on what he thought he wanted, Rachel, that he ended up doing whatever it took, which was working 14 years until he was given Rachel. See, Jacob was empty, And he was disappointed after chasing the things that he thought would make him happy. But when Jacob was absolutely desperate, he turned to God, and God did change his life. In the famous story, Jacob wrestles with God. But before letting God leave, Jacob demands a blessing. A blessing, really, that he had been longing for his entire life, but could not find it. And God gives it to him. See, this this small reference to Jacob is actually a window of hope for us all. Living lives of praise is a battle. And more often than not, it's a gradual process as we navigate the ups and downs of life. It takes uh, diligence and time and even effort, practicing those rhythms of praise. But what we do know is that God is generous to open our eyes to who he is and what he's done. If we simply ask. Jacob is a reminder of this, that praise is possible, despite the trouble and the sin that life may bring. 
If you're a Christian here today, continue to, to pray and fight for praise. Pray that, that your heart would be stirred by the amazing reality about who God is and what he's done, his power and his love. If you're here today and not yet a Christian, the call for you is to turn to God, find your hope in him, ground your life in him, praise him. Whatever it is you want most, unless it is God, it will not satisfy. And here's the good news. God invites all to come to him. There is no sin too great, no counterfeit God too mighty, no wound too big that God cannot heal. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He gathers the outcasts. And verse 6 tells us that the Lord lifts up the humble. Even if you've lived your whole life chasing after counterfeit gods, idols that don't satisfy, repent and admit your sin and dissatisfaction and your neediness for a savior because the Lord lifts up the humble. See, God is different than the rulers of this world and in verse 10 and 11, they tell us this. His delight is not in the strength of a horse nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him in those who hope in his steadfast love, right? The Lord isn't impressed by what the world is impressed by, strength and military might. Rather, God wants humble hearts, hearts who fear him and who put their hope and trust in his steadfast love, who find their hope in the one who is unimaginably great and loving. But we're left with, with, with a little bit of a question. Maybe it's a big question. How can this really be? Right? How can the creator and sustainer of the universe welcome people like you and like me? Why would he love and care for us? Right? People who have rejected him and sought satisfaction disregarding and disobeying his commands. Well, the answer it lies in Christ. As many reasons as we have for praising God here in Psalm 147, when we get to the New Testament, we have even more. Because in the New Testament, we see Christ more clearly than ever before. Because in Christ, we see God's only Son, the one worthy of all praise himself, humble himself by becoming a man and living a life of relative poverty and difficulty. He came to earth truly, truly deserving of praise but instead subjected himself to scorn, rejection, and betrayal. Eventually Christ beaten and ultimately killed. Why? To welcome us in. See, Christ takes our sin, our love for counterfeit gods, our desire to praise and live for things that not only are not Christ, but so often against Christ. And he takes them upon himself on the cross, paying the penalty that we deserve for our betrayer, for our betrayal. The truth is, we're traitors, and yet he takes that punishment upon himself and in return gives us his perfect life. All of his righteousness, his obedience, he now bestows upon us. And as he does so, as, as that great exchange happens, he invites us to live a life of praise unto him. Not to earn his favor, right? not to earn his love, but because he's already given it. See, we have a God who is truly worthy of all praise. He has created the universe. He sustains everything that is in it. And yet he has now entered into it, redeeming it 
through his son, Jesus Christ, bringing salvation and satisfaction to any who will come to him and praise his name. In Christ, we have a glorious Savior who in his life, death, and resurrection not only saves and redeems us, but shows us clearer than ever before how praiseworthy God truly is. Wherever you find yourself this morning, look to Christ. Ask and plead that his spirit would work in your heart, that you might find satisfaction and delight in him. Would you hope in his steadfast love and praise his name all the days of your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you truly are praiseworthy. Not only have you created the earth, you have sustained it and have now through Christ redeemed it. We thank you that in Christ we can see more clearly how praiseworthy you truly are. We can see more of who you are and what you've done. By your spirit, make us into people eager to praise your name and to share that joy and satisfaction with the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.